Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome back to the Making Headway Podcast. I'm Mariah. And I'm Aaron. And today we have um, our friend Sarah Howe joining us. She is going to tell us a little bit about her survivor story. She's not only a brain injury survivor, but she's done a lot since then. Um, Using her experiences, she now works with stroke patients, other neurological patients in the um, occupational therapy world. Uh, She's a fitness guru, health instructor, going to be a health coach soon. And we're just so grateful and happy to have her on today. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and talk about my story and just spread the awareness of TBI. So thanks for all y'all are doing. Absolutely. Welcome. So we'll just jump right in. I don't want to try to um, tell your story for you. Let's just start at the beginning. How did you join our community? Sure. Uh, Isn't that weird? You know, I was trying to think about, I think I randomly saw y'all on Instagram and then reached out and then here we are months later. Um, But my injury was, it'll be 14 years on March 29th. Um, I was 19 years old. Um, I'm originally from Nashville and I went to college in Mississippi at Mississippi State. Uh, It was my second semester and I was with a friend and I was driving her car we had actually skipped class going to get dresses for a fraternity party to rent. Um, trouble. <laughs> trouble, yeah. Typical <laughs> freshman year trouble. So she drove on the way down, and then I drove on the way back. We were coming back from Jackson, Mississippi, and going back to Starkville. I went to Mississippi State. And she was asleep, and I fell asleep at the wheel. And she woke up and said, Sarah, Sarah, and I looked up. And I saw the road and I overcorrected. And then we flipped four times, landing on my side each time. It was, we were going 65 miles an hour on cruise control. Um, Yeah, so I was knocked out. I was unconscious and my friend got out of the car. Unbeknownst to her, she had a broken neck. She walked around to make sure I was okay. The person that happened to be behind us was a retired ambulance driver which Mm -hmm. I swear she saved my life and we still keep in touch and exchange Christmas gifts. Um, But yeah, she stopped and came behind my head, held my neck still and brought me back to consciousness and waited for the ambulance to get there. So they then took us to a local hospital. Once we got there, they said, we, these girls are too injured. We can't help them. So they lifelighted my friend and then they drove me in the ambulance, which I don't really understand why, but I'm actually really thankful because of all of the brain trauma that I had. I don't know what would have happened if I would have gotten in an airplane. So anyway, then we went to Jackson. I was in Baptist hospitals in the ICU for a week and then the regular hospital about a week and a half, the regular room. And then I came back to Nashville and we had a hospital bed at my parents' house. Um, All of my injuries, I actually had to write them down because there were so so many that I still sometimes can't remember all of them. But um, my... For the brain, my right vertebral artery occluded, which caused a right cerebellar stroke, and I also had a subdural hemorrhage. Um, And then my brakes, I fractured C4, C6, C7, T1, had a laceration in my head, I broke my collarbone, punctured my lung, um, broke my right arm, no, left arm, left wrist, right hand. I think that's it. Oh my gosh, oh my no wonder you have to write it down. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Wow. So those were all of my injuries and yeah. So, so I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. I can only imagine that must have been such a long road with rehab and recovery. Yeah, it was very long. Um Like I said, I was in the ICU for a week, and I actually developed compartment syndrome in my left arm, and they had to rip open my arm and redo the whole surgery. And then when I got back to Nashville, I started doing outpatient PTOT and speech here, 
And I actually got back to Nashville and they didn't even know my thumb was broken until I got back here. I think mm-hmm. I just had so many other injuries that yeah. looked that over, which in the grand scheme of things, you know, that <laughs> didn't really matter. But I think the most interesting part is obviously the bones are visible, right? It's like those are, it's obvious that I'm injured. But your brain injury is such an invisible injury that people aren't really aware of it. And I think that, you know, when I was dismissed from the hospital in Mississippi, they said I was neurologically sound, which my mom was like, you know, no, she's she's not. She's not neurologically sound. And the first neurologist we went to here in Nashville actually said the same thing. And so we had to keep searching for a neurologist that actually would, you know, listen to us and understand. So I really encourage people to to keep searching for the right doctor just because they're a neurologist or whatever doesn't mean that they're the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we finally found one and they were great. I went to him for, gosh, 10 years, I think. And I was on medication for a little bit actually for about 10 years um, because my thoughts and organization was all over the place. So they put me on a stimulant kind of like for people with ADD. And I've been off of that now three or four years, which I'm very thankful. I've learned ways to manage, you know, everything. What Um, was the transition off of that? Like, was it noticeable or just? It was, it was. So I stayed on it through, because I went back to school for what I'm doing now in 2015 which we can kind of get to that because I think that's kind of cool how I ended up getting back to this um, profession. But yeah, it was a hard transition. I stayed on it through school because I I think I was kind of scared of what it would be like without it. Mm. Um, And I think I got to the point where I was almost relying on it to feel productive. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to rely on this medicine forever. I want to be able to figure out how I can do this myself. So it was kind of scary at first getting off of it, but I knew I needed to. Um, so I just took it day by day and I started like making lists, made it made um, a to-do list all of the time, little kind of things like that to help remember. Um, I use the reminder app in my phone and that's super helpful. So just taking it day by day and being really patient with myself was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, especially if you've been on something long term, but even in the short term, like I, the only medication I was on post injury or post release from hospital really was Keppra and, Mm. you know, anti-seizure. And, um, even the transition off of that, I had been on it for like three or four months. That transition off was kind of a scary one because it's like, you don't know what to expect. And there can be weird side effects for Keppra. There certainly was for me, but yeah. Yeah. And I've recently been started on Ritalin, um, stimulant just to have that like get up and go and to help with my organization. And, for me, it was even scary, like starting it just because like, I don't want to be relying on something and it, I, it helps. It does. I can't do it every day. Yeah. And I I totally understand that. Yeah. And I think that at first, you know, I thought I don't want to be on anything. I don't want to have to rely on medicine. And I think it's so important that sometimes you do need to be on medicine for a little bit. You know, that's what it's there for and it's okay. And you're not weak and all of that, you know? Um, and it took a while to find the right thing because I was put on something called Stratera for a little bit and it was too much for me. And I was having heart palpitations and I lost a lot of weight. And it was just, my mom said it was like, I could talk to a wall all day. I just would not stop talking. <laughs> and I'm sure she was just kind of like, ah, Um, so we found, I think I ended up being on Concerta, which is a little bit, not quite as intense and that works for me. So, you know, if the first thing doesn't work, definitely keep searching and find, find something that does and know that it's okay to have to rely on something for a little bit, you know, having a brain injury is a, is a big deal. So tell us a little bit about your sort of rehabilitation and what that was like for you. I mean, honestly, that, that list of injuries, brain injury and other is kind of insanely long. So what, how long did it take? What was, what were your challenges? All that. Sure. Sure. Um, so let's see 
when I was in the hospital, I remember it's really fuzzy, my memory of being in the hospital in Mississippi, um, which I think I'm really thankful for. I feel like that kind of happens for a reason. You don't need to remember all of that stuff. Um, your body is going to remember all the trauma. It's enough. Um, but I remember they said, as soon as you walk, you can leave. And I was so weak, but I just was ready. I was like, give me the walker. Like, I want to walk. I will get me out of here. Take me home. And I'm sure my mom, you know, when we left the hospital, she was terrified. You know, she was she quit her job and took care of me for months, which I owe her, you know, everything. She was she was great. We became really close during all of that. But so we had a hospital bed at my parents' house and she, you know, I had a cast on this arm and I had to wear one that would crank it kind of out because my elbow was stuck in a, you know, this kind of 90 degree position. And then I had a cast on or pins in this hand and I had to wear a brace. And so she had to bathe me and dress me and everything. Um, and then she took me to all of my outpatient appointments. So I was in PT, OT, and speech. And I had, you know, appointments every single week. With OT, they worked a lot on my hands. And I went to a hand therapist. And then PT was more working on my neck, which was, I thankfully did not have to have surgery on my neck. It was non-operative. I still to this day can't turn all the way to the right, but they said, you know, I can, we can go in and do surgery to fix that. But I said, no, thank you. You know, it's functional. I can just turn my body instead of my head. So they didn't have to operate on my neck, which was a blessing. And they didn't have to go in and relieve pressure from my brain. My mom said that the doctors did come out at one point and say, I think we're going to have to go in and relieve pressure. But thankfully, somehow all of that took care of itself and subsided. So yeah, my my life for a while basically consisted of a bunch of outpatient appointments. I also went to speech therapy, which after my brain injury, I don't know if y'all experienced this at all, but I was kind of in denial that anything was wrong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely so I, had that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which I actually had this written down to um, during recovery. I don't know if y'all have heard this, but you kind of go through four phases of a, if you have a trauma, denial, anger, depression, acceptance, D-A-D-A. -A. Um, and that was very much true for me. And you kind of cycle in and out of those, but denial at first was very, very strong. Um, and I remember saying, I don't know why I have to be in speech therapy. I can talk fine, you know, and they were like, well, it's more than just your speech, it's your processing and organization and all of that, which was all over the place. And they would have me do written out things and I would get them wrong. And I'd be like, oh, well, I, that would have been like before, like it's no big deal, which uh -huh. it wouldn't have been like before. I was like a really good student before. So anyway, the denial happened and then I was angry for a while and then I went into a pretty good depression um, and then finally came out with acceptance, but it's, it's a long, it's, that sounded like a quick recovery, but it, <laughs> it, it takes a while. You know, I, For sure. I, would, I would honestly say physically I recovered quicker than mentally. I would say my brain injury probably took a few years to really feel back to myself, which, um, you don't ever really get back to yourself. I, I do remember my mom told me this later, but she said the doctors told her your little girl died on the side of the road that day. She'll never be the same again. And I think at the time, you know, that was a little too early to say that to my mom, I think, but, yeah. but it's true. Um, I'm not the same that I was before. But now I feel like I'm even better because I have a different perspective on life. I don't take little things for granted. I have patience for people. You never know what they've been through. You know, I just have learned so much through it that I'm not the same, but it's a better version of me. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh, I want to talk about so many of these things. I know, me too. I'm like, where do we begin? Uh, I, just, I just went on a tangent. You asked about recovery yeah. and ended up there, but you know. No, it was a good tangent. And it's then it worked one. one, I think. But I want to go back to sort of the mental health side of your recovery because yeah. I can completely relate to this, especially um, physically, I bounced back much faster than my doctors expected me to. 
but it was the mental health side of the journey and the recovery that was the hardest and most lingering effect for me. And I think it just, A, gets um, neglected in terms of how we talk about it or whether we talk about it at all. And also, um, I just think because of the invisible injury piece of this, people expect that physically, if you're functioning like a normal human being, that mentally you're functioning like a normal human being, mental health and otherwise, um, which is so unfair. I agree. But that's brutal. And also, I think because it doesn't get talked about a whole lot, I think brain injury survivors are sort of left to their own devices in terms of coping with it or even recognizing what's going on. I did not recognize what was going on, especially the depression piece of things until it got really bad for me. And I was like, hmm, I don't normally want to die. (laughs) And they're like, I honestly, like, I'm a really positive person normally. Um, But it took me a long time to figure out that, like, that was not really the way my brain would normally function. I just kind of accepted it when I was in it. Um, So it took a while to finally get myself to a therapist to deal with some of that. Um, But yeah, so I, I sing it off on the rooftops, honestly, (laughs) probably more than people want to hear about the mental health stuff. I think it's, I think it's so important. And, you know, when you said it took a while to get to a therapist, I think too, um, I think it's getting better, but I still think therapy is so stigmatized that you have to wait until something is wrong to go to therapy. But since I'm into fitness, I kind of compare it like that. Like, you know, you go to the gym to keep your body in shape. You go to therapy to keep your mind in shape. It's just, you know, it should just be part, part of life. It's upkeep. What a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great analogy. Yeah. And then that way, you know, when something is wrong, you kind of have the tools to figure out how to do it. You know, most of the time you don't wait until you're super out of shape to go to the gym. And if you do, it's going to be harder. Same with therapy, you know? Um, so I think that's a great point and doesn't get talked about a whole lot because people do expect that like, if you're in therapy, it's to address a, a big issue. I was just talking to my sister-in-law about this. She was asking me, we were, she was asking me about my therapy journey. And she was like, do you think you'll continue with it? And I was like, I will do it as long as I can afford to pay that hourly rate. That's right. like, I, I feel like I've gotten through the worst of my issues at this point, And it is upkeep for me at this point. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm dealing with huge, like stuff that I've swept under the rug anymore. I'm what I'm dealing with is, you know, like my day-to-day life and it's totally fine to need support in your day-to-day life. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have to have a brain injury to go to therapy, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, And I think another thing you said that's really important is um, sort of the like grieving process. A, we don't often talk about the grieving process after a traumatic brain injury. mm -hmm. And B, um, the anger piece of it also mm -hmm. doesn't get talked about a lot. Or when it comes to brain injury, people think that the anger can be caused by the brain injury, which it can but also can be a part of a grieving process and it's okay to be angry about it. You kind of have to feel that in my opinion, I'm not a mental health professional, but you kind of have to feel it to get to the next stage. Right. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I actually remember my mom and I, we both went to therapy, you know, after my accident, I don't remember the exact timeline or when exactly I went after, but she went because, you know, quitting her job, being my primary caregiver is a lot on her too, and kind of figuring out how to relate to me and all of that. And so I remember she said, she talked to the therapist about my anger and she said, I don't understand why Sarah is so angry. She should be thankful. She's alive and all of these things. And (laughs) it's like, well, yes, I am very thankful, but I'm also mad and that's okay. And I think for the longest time, I, I thought that anger shouldn't be felt, you know, after I heard that, like, oh, I should be thankful, I should be grateful. I was, I felt shame for my anger. And I thought, oh, I shouldn't feel angry. You're right. I should be grateful that I'm alive. But it's okay to be grateful and to be angry. It's, you don't have to have one without the other, you know. Um, And I think what you said, Mariah, is so true. You know, you have to feel the anger to get through it. If you keep just stuffing it and saying, oh, I can't be angry. I need to be grateful. Then you're never going to get through it and understand that anger is okay. Um, 
I actually went back to therapy recently and my therapist, she said she was talking about anger and fear and all these emotions that I don't really like to feel. And she said, oh, I love feeling that. And I said, what? And she said, all of your feelings are just telling you something. You know, mm -hmm. you, you don't have to be afraid of them. It's just kind of a clue to be like, hmm, that's interesting. What does that mean? Really so instead of yeah. judging it, kind of getting curious about it. And that perspective just really helped me to not be afraid of certain feelings yeah. and just welcome them, pause, sit with it and just get curious about it. Yeah, That's I awesome think, advice. And I think it's really important to call out too that, yes, we have the denial, the anger, the depression, the acceptance, but it doesn't mean that it's linear like that. Like I've, oh, yeah. you know, I've definitely had denial and depression and anger and acceptance, and then I'm back to depression and in that process. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you're younger and maybe this makes me sound like an old lady, but I've been striving to be an old lady for a long time now. Um, I feel that. But when you're younger, like these things feel like they should be black and white, right? Yeah. Like, um, but the older I get, the more I feel like adulthood is living in the gray area. And maybe that's also, you know, like life after March, 2020 and what we've all been mm -hmm. through, you know, collectively, but like, that part of being an adult is learning to live in the gray area of your life. The fact that you can be happy and mad and sad and all yeah. of those feelings can coexist and just kind of being within it um, versus feeling like you have to be one thing or another, you know, like just yeah. kind of sitting with it. So exactly. Like all feelings are valid and being happy isn't always the end goal. There's, you know, if you don't feel the other feelings, then happiness doesn't feel that cool, right? You know, you have to kind of feel it all. Exactly. So. Yeah. Great advice, because I'm stuck right now. You know, I've just slipped back into the depression piece. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. we've done this. We've been there. Like, why? Why? I thought we were past this. Yeah, I know, right? And you so much just want to feel good, but you're right. If you're not feeling your way through all those other things then when you're good, you don't really appreciate it. Maybe that's yeah, the right word. Or you yeah. just, it doesn't feel as good. <laughs> and then yeah, you're disappointed I, about that. So. <laughs> right, right. I agree. And it's, it's so hard to be in that depression state and to, you know, be okay to sit with it. But I really think through some of the hardest times, you kind of learn the most about yourself. You know, mm -hmm. if you, if you think about it back on your life, you're like, oh, I learned so much about myself when I was really happy. Like, well, not really. You, you know, you kind of mm -hmm. learn more when you're going through some really, really hard stuff. Um, and I, when I was depressed, I think what I wish I would have kind of taken is do something like really small every day that makes you happy, you know, to have something to try and make you happy, even if you don't feel happiness, like do something that used to make you happy. Just one small little thing. Um, and for me, I think that's movement outside in nature is so therapeutic to me. So that's something mm -hmm. I would say for people going through some hard yeah. times. And there is science behind that, it turns out. I yeah. read um, a while back this book called The Nature Fix. Okay. Um, and it's about the importance of children and being outdoors. And my husband has a master's in outdoor ed for kids. And that's cool. kind of why I was reading it is just like interested in, you know, what it is that the outdoors does for the body and the brain. Um, you know, there's the physical effect of vitamin D, but there's also science behind like the importance of being outdoors and what that does for mental health. And so it's a thing. I love that. I <laughs> yeah. love that. It's a really interesting book. I highly recommend the nature fix. I'll have yeah. to read it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is that uh, I'm an how? outdoors person too. Yeah. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, like that actually, so we live in New Hampshire and it's been really cold and gray because it's winter and we're finally starting to come out of that and into spring. But there was a period where it was just really cold. And I, I don't think I, because I also sometimes work from home, I don't think I'd left my house for like three days straight. And I finally went for a walk with my dog and it, 
just being outside in the very cold sunshine, I was like, ah, what took you so long? Yeah. <laughs> but it was like an immediate, you know, switch flip for me. Immediate mood booster. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. So is that how so you little- got into your um, occupational therapy and more of the fitness? Is it you saw the benefit for yourself and wanted to reach out? Yeah. Um, you know, I, so I, I was active my whole life growing up. I played soccer and was just into sports and being outside and all of that. And then after my accident, you know, I couldn't really do much movement for a while. And I think that was a big part of, you know, obviously the brain injury with a depression, but also I wasn't moving. Um, and I was in a hospital bed and I didn't exercise And then in, let's see, my accident was 2007. So in 2009, my mom and I ran the Nashville Half Marathon together, kind of as like a celebration. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. So I started training for that. And I don't know if it was the exercise or the time away from the brain injury or the recovery, but I started kind of lifting out of that depression when I started running and training for the marathon. So, you know, I'm a huge proponent of, movement and whatever it is that feels good to you. You don't have to do something because Sally Sue does it, you know, do what feels good. So after my brain injury, I went back to school at a community college this summer, like the summer right after, which was probably a little soon. But like I said, before we started recording, I didn't, we didn't really have many resources about brain injury and what to expect and what to do um, or anything like that. So I went back to school and took two classes. One of them was public speaking, which at the time I was not good at public speaking. But after my brain injury, I kind of lost my filter for a while. So I did amazing. I aced it. So, <laughs> the timing for that class. Um, I know. It's like the, you know, like most of the time people talk about lack of filter and brain injury as a negative, but actually it can be positive. I, it is positive. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Um, but anyway, I went back to school and then I ended up taking a full load that fall and I failed a couple of classes and I was always an A, B student. I did never fail things. So that was really hard. But at the time I didn't care, which was so interesting. Um, I think kind of the whole denial thing. Um, So I went back to school and then I ended up getting my associate's degree in medical office administration and I worked odd jobs and then I worked at a physical therapy clinic and I was a receptionist and a tech. And so through that, I started working with patients some, and I thought, oh, I really like working with patients. And so in 2015, I applied to occupational therapy assistant school, and over 200 people apply and only about 25 get in, which I didn't realize it was that competitive to get in. But I was accepted, and so I went back to school, and it's a two-year program. and then I ended up, now I'm at Skyline, and I've been there since I've graduated, so. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, who could be more fitting than someone who has been through it themselves and can be compassionate as a result? Yeah, it, it really does add a, another layer of kind of empathy. And even if I don't have patients that have been through the exact same thing, I've, I can understand. Um, I actually had a patient recently, and he went through something very similar, and he was like, it was just cool to, you know, have someone that knows what you're going through. He was like, it was really invaluable. So I think you can always make an impact, even if you don't always realize it for people that are going through similar situations. So it's, yeah. it's really been helpful. And I would imagine you're probably an inspiration, whether people say it or not, you know, if yeah. they're dealing with a brain injury and they come across you to see, you know, like how far you've come since yours. Yeah. I, I've told this story before, but like, before my brain injury, I had met a guy who had been in a car accident and had a very similar brain injury to me um, and had some gait issues and, mm-hmm. you know, like some speech issues as a result. But like when I met him, I didn't think twice about it post brain injury. Like I couldn't get this guy out of my mind. I was like, he survived. He's come so far. I can do it too. And yeah. I sometimes see him walking around town and I don't want to be that creeper who like, is <laughs> <laughs> like, Hey, I need you to hear it. Like, you were an inspiration to me. Yeah. But at the same time, I do feel like sometime I probably should let him know because like, not even remember me, but like, it would mean a lot to me if I knew. So I don't know. Yeah, I think you should. And I think that's something else too. I learned from the brain injury. It's like, if you have a to tell somebody something, like tell them. You don't ever know 
what's going to happen or, you know, and having someone tell you that you meant something to them, it's like so special, you know, there, there was a patient I had once and they were a brain, young brain injury patient and they were having a really hard time. And I just said, I know what you're going through. And they were like, what? And I told them that I had a brain injury and just a brief, you know, very short synopsis of what happened. And they looked up at me and they said, so there's hope. There's hope for me. Mm. And I was like, yes, there is, you know, so it's, it's really special. Yeah. The value the, the of community. Get out there. Yeah. Yes. Just that value of community and knowing that, like you said, like having examples of other people out there that have been through it, it's so mm-hmm. valuable. And I think it also points to like, you may not always feel inside like you have anything figured out at all, but the fact that you can reach out and that you can see other people that are in different spots and it just, it, it helps you. It helps them. It, you don't have to be fully put together to be talking to people. Definitely. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it, you know, and Mm -hmm. if you stumble on your words or whatever, it's like, it makes them feel normal and okay too. And there's nothing quote unquote wrong with you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just being real. I'm curious, Sarah, um, this is something that this is like the stage in my journey I'm at. Um, so I'm curious to know if you relate or if you have any advice. Sure. So, um, pre brain injury and Erin knows this because she's been a runner with me and I think is on her own, you know, like, you know, exercise after Mm -hmm. recovery journey. But so I've had two kids and that's also been a bit of a setback in terms of (laughs) fitness. (laughs) Um, but in between my kids was my brain injury. Um, so that took some time and I'm in this stage where I'm like, okay, no more kids, knock on wood, no more brain injuries, knock on wood. I feel like I'm in this, um, stage where I'm taking back my own body. Um, and I have moments where I'm like, you know, like it's hard for me because I struggle with comparing myself physically to pre-brain injury, Mariah, I'm beyond the mental and, you know, cognitive stuff. Like I could care less about the difference there, but physically it really bothers me that I can't run like I used to. And I don't have like gait issues. It's just fitness level. I'm out of practice. Um, and it, it's hard to find time in my schedule for it, but the time that I do find, I feel really proud of myself and my body in a way that I didn't before. Cause I would like, I was, I'm an overachiever. I've said it a million times on this podcast, but like I push myself too hard. Yeah. I'm in a very different place now with like pushing my body. I'm grateful for my body. Um, so the times that I am doing it, I'm so, I feel like I'm like, you know, like giving my body a pat on the back. I'm really proud of that. But just consistency is a struggle. And I don't know, do you have any advice for people who are like starting the wheel again, trying to get back in shape after, you know, like tending to the housekeeping of their recovery? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember where I learned this little thing, but so if you are trying to create a new habit, do something. So do it right after you already do something. So let's say, um, making a cup of coffee or brushing your teeth or something you do every day, do that new habit right after something you do every day. So then that way it's kind of going to become automatic. Does that make sense? So like, Mm um, and start small, do five squats after you make your coffee or go on a half a mile run or whatever is small for you, small victories add up instead of doing something that's outrageous. I'm going to run five days a week, three miles a day. If right now you're only running once a week, you know, that's a because, huge problem for me. I'm all yeah, in or all out. You yeah. Know? Me too. And most people are, most people are, but that is what is going to set you up for failure. And then you're going to be like, well, never mind. Doesn't work. I'm just going to throw in the towel and not do anything. So my biggest advice is start small. And then once you see yourself succeeding, then you can kind of stack on more and more instead of the opposite where you kind of go all in and then you're all out. So just start small and just thank your body and be like, gosh, that was so good. Let's do this again tomorrow. 
yeah. instead of wearing yourself to the ground and then not doing anything for a week, you know? It's kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, if you're on a diet and you've been really good and then suddenly you have a donut and you're like, oh, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, no, you don't have to be. It's just get, get back on track. If you fall off, just yeah. get back on. So. Yeah. I have to say your Instagram is, has been an inspiration to me since we oh, connected on Instagram, like seeing all that you do is awesome. So oh, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Thank you. I'm curious to know also like in your recovery journey, was there anything that surprised you? I mean, I've said this before too, but like none of us know a whole lot about brain injury before we got our brain injuries, or at least I'm assuming, I mean, I'm sure people who studied brain injuries, right, right, right. brain injuries, but yeah. most of us yeah. don't. Um, right. So I feel like everything is new, every, you know, step in, in the recovery journey, but is there anything that was particularly surprising to you or that you felt like you learned the most from? Let's see. Um, I don't know if this is surprising, but something that was kind of tough at first, um, I guess it's a little surprising. I, I was embarrassed um, about my brain injury at first, and I'm not someone that gets embarrassed really easily, and so I think that was difficult and a little bit surprising. Um, I think later down the road, something that was surprising is that what you eat really affects your brain. Um, I know you had a Chelsea on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Chelsea Moore. Um, yeah, we yeah. learned so much from her. And yeah, I absolutely loved that episode. But um, that your eating habits and your day-to-day activity, and I'm a big proponent of journaling and meditation, all of that really impacts your brain. And I think that could be surprising for some people because sometimes people think, oh, that's so woo-woo, you know, oh, the meditation and this and that, but it really, really, really makes a difference. Um, So I think that was probably a little surprising and I still do all of that to this day and I think it's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing, you know, what you put in, you know, in any form, whether it's what you put into your mouth, what you put into your mind, what you put in, you know, is what you get out. So if you're putting in that goodness, then... That's what you're gonna breed. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Even if it takes time, I mean, talking about yeah. like the mental health piece of that, that's another thing where you like might expect the instant gratification or the immediate change, but it doesn't necessarily always work that way. It sometimes is a matter of building a habit in order to benefit from it. But, oh yeah. And I, I think that's true too. You know, we kind of live in this instant gratification, Amazon Prime, it comes in two days kind of world. Sometimes one. Sometimes the day of. Yes, that's what I ordered yesterday. I know, it always amazes me when that happens. I know, I know. But it's like, I think that's what you, all of us expect is going to happen when it's not really like that. You know, it takes time and patience and you know, continuing to try day after day. And then it might take months for you to feel the effects of what you build into a habit, but, um, it'll, it'll get there. Yeah. And it can be exhausting, but, Mm -hmm. um, I like one of our speakers that we recently had on, um, talked about how you can flip that. So rather than thinking I need to do more to be more productive, to get myself better, how, you know, can you flip that into what can I add into my day to add joy? Like, what is it Absolutely. that's going to make this day feel pleasurable for me? And then it's more Absolutely. of a benefit. I, yeah, I love that. I love that perspective. And, and I think too, that we all think that we have to go, go, go. And being productive is, you know, the golden star or whatever, but rest is productive especially for people that have had brain injuries, you know, your brain has had so much trauma and you're going to need more rest, but that is productive. If you think about it, you know, you're giving yourself what your brain needs by resting. So pushing yourself to the limits is not going to help you right now. So, and I think that's hard. It's really hard in our world when, you know, we're stimulated hours of the day and you can't even put your phone down. And so rest is hard, but it's so important. 
Yeah, that's something I see a lot in the online support groups is questions about like, you know, like both from caregivers and survivors, you know, what else, I, all, I, all I can do right now is sleep. What else should I be doing to improve, especially in the early phases? And mm-hmm. I probably sound like a crazy person, but I always respond to those because I, from my own experience, struggled so much with feeling unproductive um, because I'm an overachiever. And to me, taking a nap is lazy or was lazy. (laughs) Um, But like the answer, especially in those early stages, and I don't know that that necessarily goes away, is your brain is recovering. The best thing you can do for it is to sleep and give it rest and space. Yes, yes. And to, you know, not, you know, in the early stages, you don't want to like look at phones and screens and all that because that can be really irritating. I think it's, um, thankfully at Skyline, we definitely tell patients that and have a, you know, sign in their room. It's like no TV, no phone. And we have a binder that we give them about TBI recovery, which I really love that we do that because I definitely didn't have anything like that. So yeah, yeah I struggled a lot with screen time, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in the early stages because I was bored. Honestly, like mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. really do much. I could scroll and occupy my mind that way, but it was not good for me. And I got my husband got I got lectured quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of that denial. Like I can do everything I always did when really oh, you yeah. can't. Yeah, such denial. Yeah. I mean, I. I still remember my, when we went back to a follow-up appointment the summer of 2007, I was, you know, supposed to go back to college at Mississippi State that fall, and I'd had an apartment with my friends picked out, and my mom, you know, came home after the doctor's appointment, and she was like, you know, they said you couldn't go back to college, and I said, what? Yes, I can. I'm fine. And she said, Sarah, you can't even pick up a gallon of milk. You know, you can't live, go live by yourself. And I just remember, I just didn't understand and just crying. And she said it was the hardest thing she had to tell me, but she knew I couldn't go back, you know. I can relate so much to your denial phase. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just telling the story um, the other day to someone of, like, my mom gave me a journal when I was in the hospital post-injury so that I could journal my thoughts and what I was going through. And I was like very nice to her when she gave it to me. But in my head, I was like, I am not writing down a single bit of this because I do not want to remember it. I do not want this to have happened. And now years later, I'm like, I wish I had journaled it. I wish I, because, because your memory, you know, of those times is sometimes non-existent or fuzzy. And I, I wish I could go through it now to see how I felt because I don't really remember. But I do know I was refusing to admit that it was a thing <laughs> and I was angry. So. Oh, I totally understand that. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like I, I don't think our brain has the capacity to kind of know what we're going through at that point. Um, so I don't even know if you would have been able to journal anything cause you're just, you know? Yeah. Because mm. we've talked about this a little bit, Aaron, but like there were times where like, I felt like people would be like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Or like, what's really wrong? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like that's we. I had outpatient, you know, OT and speech therapy, but I think they let go of me because I couldn't communicate any of the problems I was having, Mm -hmm. or didn't recognize that they were problems. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Not their fault. Like they they couldn't couldn't know me before and after. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's later in the game um, when you realize you do. Not to rewind us totally, but the other thing I can relate to, Sarah, Mm -hmm. is um, having someone on the scene of the accident who feels like the universe sent them to you. Um, And hearing that the person who helped you out, like you're still in touch with, is awesome. The person who was the first on the scene after my accident, I was hit by a car in a crosswalk, but like she was the... um, she's the chiropractor for the U S bobsled team, Wow! (laughs) like of all people. And so she could check my neck and my back and my pelvis. And she helped the people like passerbys help like move me out of the road. And it's like of all the people, of all the people. Yeah. Why? And, 
It's it's funny because the one that was behind me, she said that she had forgotten something at her house and had to turn around and go back. And so it's like the it just aligned. You know, yeah. why would she have been there? And thank goodness no other cars were involved. But you know, she saw the whole thing happen. Um, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, really crazy. I think our human brains um, try to assign reason to those things. I think that's just part of. Yeah. what we do as humans. So call it what you want, you know, like divine intervention yes, or whatever you believe in, but whatever you believe in, yeah. but it's amazing when it happens. Oh so, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So amazing. So Sarah, was there any further advice that you wanted to give someone recovering from brain injury? I actually, let's see, I wrote down some things. Um, we've sort of already touched on this one, but nothing is wrong with you. There's, you're not flawed. You're not um, you don't need to be embarrassed. You know, this is something that's happened and um, it's kind of up to you to decide if you want to use it as a way to propel yourself in life or to become a victim of your brain injury. Um, I think that who you surround yourself with, it really is impactful with that. What kind of support system you have, what friends you have um, can kind of help lift you up and not to, you know, like we said, you need to go through all of the phases, but at the end, it's like, how are you going to use this? You know, y'all are using this to help people. Now I'm on here talking about it to spread awareness and, you know, how, how can you use it for good? Um, so I would kind of say that also be really patient with yourself and reach out for help. Um, go to therapy, you know, it's, nothing to be ashamed of and we all go to therapy (laughs) therapy 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 (laughs) even if you haven't had brain injury anyone listening to this go to therapy (laughs) everyone needs it everyone needs it um and then after a brain injury um you can still live your best life I was talking to my best friend before um I told her that I was going to be on y'all's podcast and she was like honestly I think you are the best version of yourself you've ever been. Um, and so if you've had a brain injury, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. So just remember that, that yeah, you can still live your best life. Yeah. I think this, it's easy to like think that you're broken in some way. You're not broken, you know, like you are you. And without a doubt, there's a whole lot of talk about like pre-injury me, post-injury me, but I don't think like the measurement needs to happen that way. I think it's, you know, like you are you. Exactly. And the other thing, um, don't sweat the small stuff. And there's one thing that I don't remember who said this, but if it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes being upset by it. Um, So I think we can all get caught up in little arguments with their spouse or our friends or whatever. And after you've had a brain injury, I think it just kind of puts a lot of things into perspective, Mm. how life can be gone, you know, so quickly. Um, So just to not take the little, little things for granted and don't sweat the things that don't really matter. Yeah. That's great advice. And also like one of the other things that kind of, ties into that is worrying about like, I, I don't know, being harder on yourself than you are other people. And one of the things that I've been trying to I do still is struggle with that, but curtail yeah. that and say like, would I talk to my child the way I'm talking to myself? Would, yeah. would I give someone else a hard time about this yeah. thing that I'm giving myself a hard time about? Usually no. Right. And it helps let go. Yeah. That's so good. I, I still struggle with that. I, I don't know if that's just all humans, but you know, yeah, what I tell my child this, what I tell my friend this, um, and most of the time, no. So yeah. why would you, you know, be your own friend? <laughs> so, yeah, really yeah. hard to do sometimes. Really hard. Really hard. You talk hard. to yourself more than you talk to anybody else. So oh, yeah. what you say matters. Sometimes out loud. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our thoughts, I mean, our thoughts are so powerful, you know, and I think that that, there's a lot of, scientific studies behind that but you know how your your thoughts your body is listening to what you're thinking so you know if Mm -hmm. you're having like gut issues and all of this like sometimes it's your brain it's not actually what you're eating that's causing all of the disturbances yeah honestly it is truly amazing how some negativity and anxiety manifests in the body oh my gosh Mm -hmm. yes yeah 
Yes. Huge. Yeah. And sometimes that's easier to take care of than others. But mm-hmm. yeah. It really is. So, Sarah, if people are interested in finding you, um, yes. what would be the best way for them to find you? I would say Instagram. I'm, um, that's the easiest way. My handle is Sarah Tucker Howe, um, no H on Sarah, and then Tucker Howe, H-O-W-E. So. We highly recommend. Her dog's adorable. She's always doing cool <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yes, my dog is my best friend. You'll, if you're not a dog person, you probably don't want to follow me. <laughs> but, if you're not a dog person, I'm going to be... Yeah, I'm going to be skeptical. Sorry, we're dog people on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, so check Sarah out on Instagram. It's a very positive Instagram feed, I have to say. I think there's a lot of negativity out there on social media. And speaking of positivity, it's a sort of a bright spot of a social feed. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Um. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah, for joining us. Um, just a reminder to all of our listeners, um, check us out on Instagram at Making Headway Podcast and on Facebook, and check out our website, makingheadwaypodcast.com. Sarah, thank you so much for having a moment with us today. It's really lovely. And I honestly, like I connect so much with your story. It's um, a lot of pieces of it are a lot like mine. So thank yeah. you for sharing. Thank you all so um, much. Yeah. So this is Mariah signing off with my co-host, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you all next week. Hey, everyone. In case you're wondering what Aaron and I do for a living, it's not podcasting. I work in marketing. Aaron's a nurse. And this is just a side project that we love. We really do enjoy doing this and we've enjoyed being part of the community and building up a group of listeners. You guys probably don't even realize how much you help us out uh, just by supporting us. If you were looking to do a little bit extra, uh, we would love to have your ratings on Apple or whichever podcasting service that you use. Or if you hear us talk about a product on the podcast, we do include those links to Amazon in our show notes on our website. Your purchase after you click on the link just gives us a tiny little kickback. Nothing much, but it helps us pay our bills. And if you are thinking, well, this isn't enough, we want to do a little bit more on our website at www.makingheadwaypodcast.com. We have a donation page. Any proceeds we receive, we give 10% to our favorite brain injury nonprofit of the moment. So if you are looking to do a little bit more, that would be a great way to support us. Again, we appreciate you guys oh so much. Thanks so much for your time and your ongoing support. We love our listeners and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean. 